0: Open your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Acts. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. The series that we are in is called The Spirit-Filled Church. And we, yeah, yeah. And we want to learn what that meant so that we can live what that means. We want to learn what it meant so we can live what it means. Furthermore, there are, we're going to see principles that are true about the Spirit-filled church. We're going to see those principles are, are true and can and should be applied in our own hearts and in our own homes. Because we are the Spirit-filled church. Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 6 and verse 1. Now for those of you that never miss a week and are paying close attention, you might say to me, "Hey, wait a minute, Dav, you are not cu- you're missing a section in chapter 5." Well, I am, but here's the deal. So, uh, verse uh, chapter 6 verse 1 begins in the New Living saying, "But as the believers," bop, 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 so we say, "What?" So it's telling us that uh, it's catching us up on the narrative. So what happened last week is we recognized, we saw that the Spiritville church is a life-changing church. We saw all of the the ways that God was working miraculously in and through the church. And then Luke pauses and tells us that that, that as all this activity was happening, all these miracles and people coming from the outside of town, bringing people in, that once again it it stirred up the attention of the religious leaders, and they come and they arrest them. Remember, the, the leadership has already told them, in no uncertain terms, never speak. At all in the name of Jesus ever again. There were no conditions. There weren't any exceptions. There was never. Don't speak in His name in public or private ever. And so they went out and just kept doing it. And in fact, the response was, "Lord, give us boldness to do it more. Stretch out your hand to heal and work signs and wonders." And so they did it some more. And then, and the Lord honors that and there's signs and wonders and miracles. So they come back and they say, "Hey, we told you not to do it." And they they lock him in prison. Going to spend the night in jail. I'll teach them a lesson. And what happens is an angel comes and lets them out of prison. And and he says, Go back and speak the words of this life. So they go back to the temple again and start speaking in the name of Jesus. They get up in the morning, they go down to the prison, they're gone. That's awkward. They get together and they say, what in the world, what in the world are we going to do? And so they, they gather, they go get him this time gently from the, the temple. Ha, 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 come back, come back. And they bring him back in and they threaten him again. But, 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 but one guy gives good advice, Camille, He says, hey, 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 listen. He says, you got to remember, if, th- if what they're doing is of man, it's going to fall by itself. But if what they're doing is of God, you're going to fall. So they said, well, that sounds about right. And so they brought them together and then just literally beat the tar out of them. They had them flogged. To punish them and, and threaten them again. And they walked out of there rejoicing. For being, worked, for being counted worthy. For, for, for the privilege of being persecuted for the name of Jesus. Then... So all this is going on. There's miracles, there's increase in miracles, increase in persecution, and there's increase in joy. And all of this increase, and now we land at chapter six. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, I paused because last night when I said that, somebody yelled amen right in the middle. So I was like, good, good. You can, you can say amen at the good parts when we read the Bible. And most of it's the good part. Okay? But as the believers rapidly multiplied, amen. <laughs> There were rumblings of discontent. Not that part. There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called together a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers... Select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Let me take a quick time out here, make sure that we address something doctrinal. Why is it that they said select seven men? It is because the women were already working. (laughs) All the women already had jobs. They were already making stuff happen. It was time for the men to show up. Now, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it makes for good preaching. (laughs) And we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. My Bible has parentheses right after that, right after Stephen. And if you want to, put some little asterisks on either side of those parentheses, and we'll talk about those parentheses again in a minute. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit. And, and Philip. Now, a bunch of, and then a bunch of other people. Stephen and Philip are who I want you to pay attention to. The other folks are interesting, but not part of the longer story. Okay? These seven were presented, well, not, at least not in the canonical record. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Amen. <laughs> good, good. What is the Spirit-filled church? The Spirit-filled church prospers when we prioritize. The Spirit-filled church prospers when we prioritize. We prosper when we prioritize we see what they did here is luke tells us of that that they that they they, they had a, they had a problem and they solved it or addressed it through maintaining or emphasizing priorities a few things that we see about the spirit-filled church the first thing the first priority that we see not in order of importance necessarily but in order as we see it talked about in the text the first priority we see is this The spirit-filled church, we prioritize peace. We prioritize peace. The believers were rapidly multiplying, but there were rumblings of discontent. Rapidly multiplying. All the metrics were awesome. There were more people, there were more numbers, there were more miracles. There was lots of high fives, lots of good game, good game, good game, good game. Lots of high fives, lots of volunteer appreciation parties, lots of cheers, lots of way to go, bro, lots of fist bumping. But there were rumblings of discontent. The situation is that they, that there were widows. Who were being cared for by the church? Now, the synagogue had a system by which they cared for uh, the poor and, and the widow, and it's it's possible at this point they're still in Jerusalem, so the synagogue system wouldn't have been as as influential in the main part. But it's possible, at least by this by this point, that many of the many of the believers have been begun to be excluded from the traditional uh, Jewish uh, worship gatherings. Uh, because they belong to this sect, and we'll see how drastic that gets as time goes. Bottom line is, though, that the church had picked up this mm, responsibility, this opportunity to care for the widows and those in need. And we know this. What do we know? We know that there was more than enough. We do, This is not a problem of lack. This is not a problem of lack. We, Luke has gone out of his way to tell us that, they, that there was more than enough, they had all that they needed, that there wasn't any needy among them. But then they began to say, well, wait a minute, we feel like there's discrepancy, there's discrimination between who? Between the Hebrew-speaking uh, Jewish people and the Greek-speaking Jewish people. And likely this conflict goes back <laughs> generations and generations with the whole thing about them resenting the in, the Hellenistic influences of uh, the the generals of Alexander the Great and how Hellenism began to encroach upon the sacredness or the uniqueness uh, of the of the Jewish culture and so what you have now is that you have a you have a, a Christian church a Jesus following church and there and what there is the the accusation is that hey. You Hebrew-speaking people are still acting out some of your old prejudices or whatever, and you're and you're mistreating or overlooking the Greek-speaking. The, the, what was the difference between these people? Language or dialect? What we have here is a failure to communicate. And he's, and, and they were they were being they, they, the complaint was they were being treated differently, and they may have actually been that, but. That's not even analyzed. Luke doesn't pause to analyze this. He doesn't pause to investigate the accusation. He doesn't pause to investigate the sincerity or gravity of the situation. He does give us a couple of clues, though. The language that he uses should, sounds like this the, the, in, the, in the Greek text when they said that the NL, NLT says rumblings of discontent. Um, a complaint arose is the more probably wooden version, but it, it should it could sound like this. The language communicates this that there was a complaint that was expressed in murmuring. It was a complaint expressed in murmuring, which is not good. Murmuring is that is is talking too. We're talking about other people in negative terms that does not include a solution or hope. Stirring up hard feelings about other people. Lashing out. Murmuring. So we're all, already the language of murmuring tells us that's not so great. Then... Luke uses in his grammar the same language that is used in the Old Testament that describes Israel's grumbling against Moses in the desert. So, so far we know this is probably not a good idea. Luke is not describing this and rumblings of discontent. He's not giving it praise, and he certainly isn't prescribing it to us. We do not give place to complaining. The Spirit-filled church does not murmur. The Spirit-filled church, the Spirit-filled person, does not murmur. We do not solve problems by murmuring accusations in order to confirm our suspicions, in order to reinforce our fears, in order to feed our being offended. So the apostles, what Luke tells us is the apostles present a solution that empowers more people to help serve. And this solution pleases everyone. It solves the problem and the church grows. (laughs) The Spirit-filled church does not murmur. The Spirit-filled church solves problems. do you know, and, and the ability, the eagerness, the willingness to solve problems is a symptom of hope. Come on. Come on. Come on. Where there is hope, people believe there are solutions. Right. They are solution-oriented. They are almost convinced. Hope convinces us that it can be better than this. Yes. Because we are a people of hope. We are a people who are inclined toward solution and disinclined to murmuring. So they choose a peaceful and wise and spirit-dependent solution over clinging to their complaints. It's a little bit of it's a little bit of meddling, but sometimes you know if you've been in church more than a minute. Sometimes it appears some folks prefer their complaint over peace. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 3 and the New Living says, make every effort. Once again, how many how many how much effort is that? There's no effort left out, right? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace the spirit-filled church may be human but we are not carnal we prioritize peace Prioritize peace. Second thing that we see in the text is that we prioritize the word. Spirit-filled church prioritizes the word. When, when the church was faced with the need for more help, more ministry, more activity, the apostles recognized that they could not give up time and energy that was being devoted to, to the word to their ministry of the word now their needs as a church were growing and changing but their priorities were not their needs as a church growing and changing anybody can anybody say amen hey we need you know need more of this need more pews need more seats need more <laughs> communion need more things We need more people, need more hands to help. Our needs may change and grow, but our priorities must not. And the word of God remains our primary mission. Note its place in this passage. Look look how Luke talks about it. It, uh, uh, In Luke, in in verse 2, he quotes the apostles, we should spend our time teaching the word of God. In verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Time out real quick. You need to see that in verse 4, that there is that in, in the text, there is, there, there is never really a separation of the emphasis. There's no separation of our, atten- our attention to the Word and to prayer. Our commitment to both is primary. Our commitment to prayer and the Word of God are together primary. And nowhere is this more important than with those responsible for leadership, this commitment to prayer and the word. Listen to them again. We will, all these different versions, we will devote ourselves. We will give ourselves to. We will, devo- we will spend our time in prayer and the word of God. The New Living says spend our time, and that has less of an emotive feel than devote or give ourselves to, but it it is a little more telling, because what you devote yourself to, you will give time to. There is no replacement for time. There aren't shortcuts for time. Time under the influence of the word of God, time given to to ministering the word of God, time given to investment in prayer. These were priorities, but he's not done yet. It comes up again in verse seven, chapter six, verse seven. Luke says at the end and the word of God kept spreading three times. He mentions this emphasis, this priority. Of the Word of God. Friends, there's plenty to learn from, there's plenty to learn about, there's lots to talk about in this world, but nothing surpasses the priority or the power of the Word. The Spirit filled church prioritizes the Word. The third thing we see in the text as far as priorities is we prioritize character. When they were recruiting more hands to help, the emphasis was on character. As we learned this in Genesis. It's always been true that what is in our hearts is always more important than what is in our hands. Yeah. Yeah. So that while, while they call for more hands to help, they check, they want to make sure that what's in the heart is first. But while we're talking about it, we should recognize that the solution was, in fact, more hands to help. <laughs> the Spirit-filled church grows when more hands help. The Spirit-filled church grows when more hands help. <laughs> He's just going to keep saying that until we say amen. Uh, He's probably gonna keep saying it until more hands help. Because just saying amen, that doesn't help. Come on. <laughs> People need to get saved. Well, amen. <laughs> Lots of opportunity to minister to kids. Amen. <laughs> Spirit-filled church grows when more hands help. It is not okay for places of service or points of need to go unmet. Not okay for them to go unmet. Now, I'll say this—a little nuance here. It's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a nuance, but it's pretty important. People say, "Oh, more hands to help." Well, let me tell you. Let me—let me take over. <laughs> Let me, let me reach into... That's, that doesn't mean reach in and, 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 uh, and, you know... That means find something that isn't being done. Look for a place where there's clearly a need and fill that. Yes. Come on. Come we grow as more hands help, and the Spirit-filled church needs your hands too. But the emphasis was not just on more hands. Not just any hands will do, but good character. What kind of character? What kind of character is, is, is described and prescribed here? Uh, a, few, a few things that the, the apostles say choose, choose these seven men, because either the ladies that were at retreat are already working. So choose seven men who are, number one, respected or well reputed. They have a good reputation, they're trusted. And, the, and it seems to be, depending on how the, the, the grammar is laid out, that they are well-respected almost for being, that what's respected about them is that they are full of the Holy Spirit. They are respected for being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, and wisdom here is not something different than the Spirit, not at all. It is what we would call a charism. That means that that, that they're looking for people to serve and they need people who have wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a, a, a gift, a charism, a result of His influence in their life. We need people who are respected, known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so... They choose people, and the first person that we're told, the first name that we're given, is Stephen. Okay, now Stephen and Philip are both going to show up in chapter seven, and then again in eight. This is Luke giving us the backstory to important characters. But when, when as soon as Luke writes down Stephen's name, there are there's an immediate parenthesis after Stephen's name. Stephen, who is immediately described as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like Luke cannot even mention his name without the significance of Stephen's character immediately coming to mind. This this is the kind of character I want to have. I I want, and I think you do too, you want your character to be a little bit almost louder than your name. And as soon as that name is said, his character is thought of. There's the the parentheses after his name is this guy is full, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. I think another question might be, what is in the parentheses after your name? Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, what is the task being Assigned here. The task is. One guy said it this way. The task is take the beans. Mm-hmm. Put the beans on the plate. Take the plate to this person. Take somebody something to eat. Here's food. You got your. You're just a delivery person. You're not making the food per se. You're not buying the food, but you got to. You're just you're just helping people get food. It's not, not again, not, not disparaging it, but it isn't, nor is it rocket science. They're not electing a pope or looking for a rocket scientist. The task in mind was to serve food. And what were the requirements? Oh, listen, you need to find people who are, res, who are respected and who are full of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because there is no task. There is no responsibility In the spirit-filled church that is not spirit-dependent. Every role, every task relies upon a spirit-dependent person. Consider the character quality that Luke describes here. Full of the Holy Spirit. Would you all just say it with me? Full of the Holy Spirit. Here we have Luke's highest assessment of a person. The greatest thing that Luke will say about anybody in in the, in the gospel of Luke or the book of Acts is this. The greatest thing he'll say about anybody is what they're full of. So far, Luke will tell us he's a son of a something or he's full of something. How you finish either of those sentences is up to you. But seriously, Luke, how he describes them, when he, wants to, when he wants to assess someone's high character, when he wants to ascribe to them high esteem, he doesn't describe their appearance, their abilities, or their achievements, or their possessions, or their resume. He describes what they are full of. And here, full is an adjective. Elsewhere, it's a verb. He'll talk about Peter being filled with the Spirit. He'll talk about an immediate quickening, a sense where the Spirit comes upon him freshly for new purpose or new power. That's a verb. But here, it's an adjective. It's not a quickening. It's a quality. He's saying "This this is a quality that defined Stephen's life. He was full. In grammar, the word means to be and to remain under the influence. It means to be replete or to be completely covered over and full. This is the spirit-dependent person. Do you know who the first person that Luke described in this way was? The first person that Luke says, ah, he identified. The first person that he, did, that he uses the exact same language, the exact same description to describe someone who is full of the Holy Spirit, living completely under the influence of the Spirit. Who's the first person he uses to describe that? Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Luke says that Jesus came out of the, after his baptism, he came out of the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. Do you, I hope that you can try to feel the weight of this. Yes, we know what happened in Acts 2 and, 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 and Acts 4 a couple of times, that there have been repeated experiences that people, are, the believers, are being filled with the Spirit. But the first time that Luke uses this, this quality, he could have used it before if it would have easily fit with Peter or John or anybody so far. The first time that, that Luke decides to pause and to recognize someone who is full of the Spirit, it's a guy named Stephen. Have we heard of him yet? No. He wasn't Peter, James, John, or Dav. He didn't go on the <laughs> Mount of Transfiguration. He wasn't, we, for all we know, he, didn't feed, he wasn't at the feeding of the 5,000. Probably wasn't in the upper room. Uh, earlier, he pr- very likely is a, is a post-Pentecost convert. Stephen probably had a regular J-O-B. Maybe even a little side hustle. But the first person that Luke compares to living just as spirit-dependent as Jesus, I wish his name were Joe. We could say a regular Joe. But the first person that he gives equal quality of description to Jesus in terms of being living under the influence of the Spirit is a guy named Steve. Steve. Luke describes Stephen's dependence upon the Spirit the same way... He does Jesus, and this is the way for all of us. To live under the same holy, empowering influence of the Spirit that Jesus did. To be as Spirit-dependent as Jesus, so that you and I may live for Jesus and live like Jesus, even if it's just giving somebody some beans. The Spirit-filled church prioritizes character and no trait more so than living under the influence of the Spirit, then Spirit dependence. And we prioritize people. We prioritize people. The the apostle says, you choose seven, known, respected, full, and we will give them this responsibility. The responsibility never got swept away. The responsibility To minister, meaningful ministry never got obfuscated by much ministry. Meaningful ministry never got lost in the activity of much ministry. They in no way minimized the importance of caring for people. They did not dismiss this need. They made sure it got met. They said it was a responsibility or a task that needed attention. And in the midst of miracles, in the midst of multitudes, they and we prioritize caring for people. And what happens when we prioritize? We prosper. Verse 7 says that as a result, as a result of what they had prioritized, Luke tells us what happened. Number 1, the word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. Wow, the word of God spread because the word is spreading, what's happening? The number of people believing and obeying, right? The number of disciples in what is it? Increases greatly. And and listen to this, and a great Many of the priests were becoming believers. If you're paying attention to Luke, they're still the church is still localized in Jerusalem. Their influence is spreading, but still localized in Jerusalem. So if we're talking about priests, we'll just cut to the chase. By and large, we're talking about some of the same people who have, up to this point, been persecuting them. The same people who have been opposing them because they kept their priorities even they kept their priorities even in the face of persecution that those who were persecuting them joined them. They became converted. They became believers. This is always a good time for this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? If not, you should be. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Put your trust in the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin. He was raised from the dead. He has ascended. He has poured out his Holy Spirit who promises as a gift to all who will repent. And we're baptized. He promises to give us his Holy Spirit. So that we might live for him. And live like him. And that that same spirit is the guarantee. That we will one day rise from the dead. And live with him forever. When we prioritize. We prosper. We prioritize peace. We prioritize the word. We prioritize character and we prioritize people. And when we do, we prosper. This is the Spirit-filled church. As the music- musicians are getting ready to close this in a chorus. Let me ask you to lean in and prayerfully consider a few things. What are you prioritizing? First of all, do you prioritize peace? No, is peace a priority? Do you prioritize the unity of the Spirit? You so reverence and appreciate the unity of the Spirit that you're willing to solve, address, forgive, move on. You're ready to do whatever it takes because peace is more important than your complaint or even your preferences. You prioritize peace. Do you pri- if you're a follower of Jesus, do you prioritize His Word? place does His Word have in your life? Not only the reading and the meditating of His Word, but the sharing of His Word, the obeying of His Word. You prioritize character. What might Luke say that you are full of? What is in the parentheses after your name? You and I can live just as spirit-dependent lives as Jesus. We can be people, should be people, who are full of the Holy Spirit. And we live fully under His influence. Lastly, I just ask this. Talking about prioritizing people. Perhaps... In this house, maybe you are ready to fill a need. You're ready to offer your hands to the house, depending on the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, use me. I'm here. I want to offer more than an amen. Here's my hands to help. Because the Spirit-filled church grows as more hands help we stand together and just ask for a fresh breathing in influence come holy spirit fill us empower us anoint us today in jesus name team lead us a little bit here that wants to live a spirit-dependent life like jesus well this is the spirit-filled church be filled with the spirit lean into and rely upon the holy spirit just as because we live by the spirit let us follow the spirit's direction and influence in every part of our life. may the lord bless you may the lord keep you god bless you find your kids And be kind to somebody on the way out. God bless you. Thanks for being here. We're glad you came. We're glad you were with us online. We love you. We're praying for you. Love you, Benjamin.